So last week, as we concluded our gathering here, there were two things for the next two weeks that we're going to do, and we're now entering into our second week. The first one was that at the beginning of our day, we are going to endeavor to remember to recite this mantra, if you will, to God every morning, and it was simply this, if it's what you want, I will do it joyfully. Now, have you been doing that? Trying to, remember? Hello? There you go. The other challenge this week was that either as a family or as friends to pool the resources you have, recognizing what you have that you will not hoard, those things that are above what you need to live on, and to put them together and to share those things with other people who are in need, deliberately to do this. And I want to thank you because you've been doing it. I received this text as we can have permission to share it with you by somebody who has been facing some monumental challenges in her life. And here's what she texted me this week. I've been a recipient of five hours of labor at my house and a check in the mail since your sermon on Sunday. The blessings are beautiful both to give and to get. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So thank you. Continue being generous. See, those things are the evidences of somebody who's really serious about journeying with Jesus. Journeying with Jesus, following him, is much more than some kind of Tim Horton-style Jesus drive-through on Sunday morning. Hi, welcome Sunday morning. This is Jesus. How may I serve you? Yeah, I'd like uh, uh, two blessings, one cup of coffee, and a deliverance on a multi-grain promise, uh, and, and, and I have a coupon. Following Jesus leaves obvious evidence. And excuse me for being so blunt, but it's more than butt prints in a padded pew. Following Jesus demands actual trust that takes us beyond the I'm blessed moments. Trusting Jesus is a tough thing to do. Even Jesus' family had trouble trusting him. How could this kid from rural Nazareth actually be the Messiah? Mark, a follower of Jesus, recorded this one incident, Mark 3, verse 20. He says, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went, went to take charge of him, for they said what? He is out of his mind. You may have never said those words, but you ever get to that spot where you look at your life and say, if this is God's plan, he's got to be out of his mind? So how could this even be God's plan? I want to show you a Facebook post. I don't know if you can read it, but I can read it to you. Uh, the person whose post is his last name is Garcia, and she entitles it Long Day, and she says this, Jesus makes things so hard on me. So Beth responds and says, well, doesn't he? But it's for the best. Just keep him in your heart and keep praying, girl. I'll get, you'll get better. Jesus works in mysterious ways. Garcia responds by saying, Beth, Jesus is my 14-year-old son. He was suspended from school for punching a janitor again. <laughs> Could have been Jesus, I'm thinking. But here's the deal. When I read to you and you saw that, Jesus has been tough on me. Jesus has been hard on me. Things have been hard because of Jesus. Some of you said, yes, I've been through that. And you won't say the words, 
If this is God's plan, he's out of, he must be out of his mind, but you felt it. How could this be? It had to be the way that Jesus' family was feeling, watching all that was transpiring and taking place. And yet somewhere in all of this, James, who is his brother and the bishop of Jerusalem eventually, somewhere had a change of heart. Following the resurrection of Jesus, he became one of the most vocal voices, one of the loudest voices in the city of Jerusalem in trusting Jesus. And to do that is no easy task. It's a tough thing because you can get beat up for that. You can lose your job for that. You can, be, you can be stopped being invited to family reunions because of that. But somehow, he realized that Jesus could be trusted. He saw this pattern. He saw Jesus saying to his father, is there any other way for this humpty dumpty world to be unbroken? And God said, no, there's only one plan and this is the plan I have for you. And Jesus said, okay, I accept the plan. Jesus died. And all the blame for the brokenness of the world was placed on him. And you look at that and say, what kind of plan is that? What kind of plan is it to fix a world by killing God's son? Are you out of your mind? The truth of the matter is that Jesus said yes. And even in the pain of the plan three days later, trust brings new life. So when you're thinking, and, and I appreciate all we've gone through this morning because it all comes to this, this direction, that, that you're looking at your life saying, if this is God's plan, somebody's out of their mind, how could this be? James says, stop. If you think your plan looks ridiculous, look at the cross. And as you look at the cross, Think how crazy that is and let it be known to you that trust brings new life, so don't give up. So James then goes on as we've been looking at his letter in that first century. And he gives us four evidences of those who really do trust Jesus, those who really do follow Jesus, those who trust him in very intolerable conditions. In telling us what those evidences are, twice he will say, do this. And twice he will say, stop doing this. So he says, do this. And the first thing he says for us to do is this, practice macros thumos. Say, okay, what is macros thumos? I'll get to that in a minute. Did you know that during, uh, a few weeks ago during Roar on the Shore, a celebrity came into town. You may have read this in the paper. A celebrity came into town, and when he got into the Erie Airport, his luggage was not in baggage claim. He immediately got angry. He kicked a couple stanchions, he punched a poster, and then he very verbally began to let out obscenities. And we, with our great hospitality here in Erie, cited him for disorderly conduct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and by the way, his luggage was right behind the counter the whole time. Oh, never mind. This is exactly the opposite of what James tells us, for he says this in James... Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The word patient comes from two words. Guess what's two words? Macros, 
thumos. So let, let me describe you. I'm going to start with thumos first. And, and, and I haven't asked him to do this before, but I'm sure he'll, he'll help me. Uh, Gary, stand up. Now, Gary, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, in, a, in a manner that would seem like you're angry, I want you to just shake your fist at me, and I, wa- and I want you to just say, you can't get away with this, I'll get you. Yeah, you, say that to me. You can't get away with this, I'll get you. That is just scary. <laughs> Stand up. That's Thumos. That will be his nickname from now on, Thumos. Thumos means a raging, fiery anger. That's thumos. Macros is this. It simply means to go a long way, to go far off. What James is saying is this. It's the same word as long-suffering. It is take a long time to let your anger get to you. If that's my anger, he said, you need, Reisner, to stay over here and keep your anger over there because in between, there's something wonderful that God's working on. Thanks, Gary. And don't ever yell at me again. So how do we do that? How do we keep our anger afar off so we're not punching things and screaming in airports? How do, we, how do we keep our anger far away so that what's in between, God can do? What I've discovered is that we need to recognize what we think we've lost, we haven't. See, one of the base emotions of anger is fear. It's fear of loss. I am so angry, I've lost my marriage. I'm so angry, I've lost my girlfriend. I'm so angry, I lost my job. I'm so angry, I lost that promotion. I'm so angry, I can't find my keys. I'm so angry, I'm so angry, because I've lost something. God says, wait a minute. In between that moment of anger, get afar off and let me show you that you really haven't lost anything. Some of the richest farmland in the world is in Palestine. The problem that the Israelis had came to grips with during their history is this, that most of the time they weren't able to plow and plant in that because they had been invaded so often. So what would happen is they would be pushed up into the hillsides, into the, the hill country where there is no irrigation, where there is no easy ground to plow. It is rocky soil. And it takes long, hard hours to till that soil and plant that crop. Then without irrigation, you've got to believe that in October and November, the rains will arrive and help those seeds germinate. And when they come, you rejoice and go, oh, the rain is here. But understand, they've only germinated, and then it stops. For December, January, February, and March, you wait hoping and praying for what they call the latter rain, April and May. And when it comes, there is a wonderful harvest. The good crop comes from the latter rains. So some of you have been following Jesus, and people have told you this is what it means when you follow Jesus, and you've been waiting for Jesus to do those things they told you he's going to do, and you're not seeing it happen. You've been in prayer and you felt a definite impulse inside that God was saying, I'm going to do this for you. 
There was even a prophetic word over you, and you've grabbed hold of that, but it has not happened. And so you're ready to give up. In fact, it's made you rather angry at the people who said it and made you angry at God, and you're getting closer and closer to allowing your anger to come to you. James says, don't you understand that you got to wait for the latter rain? It's going to come. In fact, the way that he talks about that is he said, the Lord is coming to you. The Lord is going to come to you in the midst of your difficult time, in the, in the situation that seems so harsh. He is coming to you. It's his promise. He will be there on time. In fact, he's around you right now, but you don't recognize it, but he's there. He's taking care of you. Somebody else's poor choices, somebody else's direct attack against you will never stop God's plan for you. Never. We are in his plan and we cannot hurry it. You go out and you plant corn and it gets about this tall and then you grab hold of it one day and say, look, no corn. Why? Man, you've got to let that stuff grow. Let it get tall. Let it produce. When God says, I got a plan for you, we get so, in America, we just want it instantly and we keep saying, God, where is it? God, where is it? God, where is it? And God said, would you just let it grow? Because at the right moment, you'll have harvest. Otherwise, you'll have frustration and anger. Joseph had a plan given to him by God. The plan was that Joseph was going to rule over a nation, including ruling over his family, and his brothers didn't like that plan. So they sold him into slavery. You say, okay, plan's over? Oh, no, no, no. That's really part of the plan. Now, hear me clearly, because this is difficult for us to want to grasp. When we are attacked, when we feel that we are bombarded either by spiritual forces or by people around us motivated by spiritual forces, God in his wisdom will use those attacks to actually move us closer to our destiny. And in the process, will teach us how we should be and mature us so that we can actually handle in maturity that full destiny when it arrives because sometimes we're not prepared and mature enough to handle the destiny until that moment. So when Joseph was sold into slavery, when Joseph's boss's wife accused him unjustly of rape, when Joseph helped a guy get out of prison and the guy forgot to mention him, so he still stayed in prison for years after that, in those moments that seemed so desperate and so horrible, God was saying to Joseph, I am changing and shaping and rearranging you so the time will come that your destiny will be filled and you'll be ready to become vice pharaoh in Egypt. And the key to that was simply this that he kept his anger a great distance away from him. He never planned revenge. He never said, when I get to this place of authority, I'll take care of you. Trust brought him new life. He practiced Marcos Thumos. To do that, we have to nurture heart strength. When I was a junior in high school, uh, there were a group of guys led by this guy whose first name was Brady. We called him the Brady Bunch. 
And they decided that year that I was the guy that they would verbally attack. I was the guy that, would, that, that they would harass. Today we call that bullying. Back then we call that high school. And so they did. From the very beginning of the first day of my junior year, harassment and insults and just really nasty things. And they kept coming and coming and coming. Now, I'm going to give you the end of the story now. By the end of the school year, we were good friends. And I wish I could tell you it was because of my winsome ways. It wasn't. I was a follower of Jesus in high school, so I said, God, you've got to do something here because I don't know what to do. If I lived in, in Erie, I'd have some friends who are part of the mafia. I could pay them off, but I don't. I don't. In Missouri, we don't have mafia. Just hillbillies. And I, there's nothing I can do. And there was this amazing divine intervention that later, as I look back, I saw take place. And it's based on, again, verse 8. Let me give it to you in a different translation. You too be patient, strengthening your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. That word strengthen means to carry, to support, to prop up that which is weighty. That when we are attacked, our hearts are heavy. And we need God to hold those hearts up because they're weighing us down. Some of you in here today are feeling the weight of a heavy heart. God says, I want to do that for you. I want to hold that up for you. And here's, here's what he will do for us. It's called the 50-20 principle. And it comes from Genesis 50-20. This is Joseph speaking now in retrospect as, to he saw, as he's seen what has happened through his years and how he came to his destiny. And here's what he said. So you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So the Brady Bunch intended to bring me harm. God said, I'm using those guys to actually bring you good. So that, that boss you're tolerating right now, you say, he's of the devil. He may intend it harm for you, but God said, I, I, I'm using this guy for good. What this does is that it takes this whole thing off of self-focus and on God-focus. And what God is saying to us is that in the situation you face right now, I'm shaping and teaching you so that you will be strong for your destiny. And the instrument that I'm using are the people that are attacking you. I'm using them to make you strong. I've shared with you before how I had one boss who threw a series of misunderstandings and I thought that he wasn't really doing a good job of being a boss anyhow, so probably my subconscious was coming through and, and, and he picked up on that too because he, he fired me. And my aunt, who had no idea what had just transpired, because I didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do, she called me, she said, I've been praying for you and I think I have a word for you from God. And she had no idea what had just happened. She said, I think God's saying that, that a season in your life has ended and a new season is, is beginning. I said, well, yeah, right on. And she said, and don't become embittered with the instrument that he used. I said, but I, I want to be bitter. <laughs> He'll get away with it. I said, no, 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 this is, this is the instrument that I have used. What I thought was 
God-forsaken was actually God-produced. And what I also learned and what we see in the Scripture is that our destiny is not so much for us. It's not so much for our benefit. Because we all say, what's my destiny? What's my destiny? What's, what am I called to do? And we think it's for us. It's not for us. It's simply to save others. It's what the cross was. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through his son the world would be what? Saved. It would be saved. So that on that night before Jesus died, he's in that garden and and he says, is this the only plan we have? And God says, that's the only one. And he said, okay, I submit to it. He said, if this is what you want, I will do it joyfully. For the scripture tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then he saved the world. We've got to come to the place that we say, okay, I don't understand why I'm going through this, but what I'm telling you is that if this is your plan, I will submit to it joyfully because you're shaping me for something that's so beyond anything that I could ever imagine. So if we can do those two things, then we can stop doing these next two things. The first is this, complaining about each other. See, the roar and the shore guy did just that while his stuff was behind the counter, but he hadn't seen it yet. And we do the same thing. We complain and say, oh, God, what am I into? And God's trying to tell us, hey, would you just rest and relax because I got your stuff behind the counter. You just haven't seen it yet. The prophets suffered horrible atrocities. They were mocked. They were scourged. They were put in chains. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by sword. And yet never, never did they complain. They didn't cast blame. They didn't try to get revenge. They didn't bear grudges. To do so would reveal to them, to others, that they believed that God had lost control. But you see, they knew that God had their stuff behind the counter, and he has yours there too. Job had a great passion for life, and, and then he became, as you read the story, I mean, honestly, he became the object of just an incredible divine wager. God saying to, to Satan, hey, you see my, my buddy Job there? If you take everything from him, I bet he still serves me. Jeez, I don't want to be part of that wager. And so God lets Satan take everything. And in all of that, in the breakdown of his health, in the loss of his family, the loss of all his goods, and the loss of all his friends, except for a couple of people who are just rotten counselors, he did what you and I did. He, he struggled through that. He questioned, he even defied, but he never, ever lost his trust. For Job said this, I do know this, that I know my Redeemer lives. So in the end, this will be okay because he is my Redeemer. He will bring the value back to me. He knew that his stuff was right behind the counter. So James says this, James 5 verse 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. See, if we're going to endure, we cannot complain. Let me just tell you this. 
If you're complaining, you're not enduring. You've stopped. The word, the word com complain here actually is the word to groan or sigh. It's, oh. It is an inner attitude an unexpressed attitude of bearing a grudge that if, if it is not taken care of will eventually turn into anger and bitterness and even malice. And God totally dislikes that. He doesn't like that boiling up on the inside and he judges it immediately. He said, James said he's standing at the door and the moment you start, he's there saying, no, don't do that. Why? Because complaining anchors us to the past. Oh, I don't know. I just, it's just so bad. And is this not working out right? Well, you're just hanging on to the past. Complaining holds on to the past. Trusting moves us to the future. And complaining stops when trusting starts. And when we begin to trust, we also stop making holy deals. So Pam and I were, were at a, a thing they call the revival. And it was becoming internationally known, and we're sitting there in this, this revival, and, and about an hour and a half to two hours into it after they've had worship, a guy got up and he said, to you that represent churches that are here, you pastors, if you will give X amount of dollars, then we will transfer this anointing onto you and you can take it back to your church. I said, serious? We're buying this stuff now? I'd rather have a big screen TV. Because I don't think what I like here, what I'm hearing, I don't think I like it. I'm not going to make a deal with God. It's the same thing as saying, God, if you will, then I'll give you my life. God, if you will, then I'll, I'll give you my time. God, if you will, then I'll give you my money. God, if you will, I'll give you my firstborn. In fact, just take my firstborn. God, if you will, I'll give you my Starbucks card. God, if you will, I'll do this. I just want to explain to you this morning that God does not negotiate with terrorists. Because if we'll say that, then it also means this, and if you don't, then I won't give you my life. If you don't, then I won't give you my time. If you don't, I won't give you my money. If you don't, I won't give you my faith. If you don't, I won't give you my trust. See, we don't worship God because he performs. We worship God because he is. When he first began to describe himself to Abraham, he didn't show up and say, I perform. He said, I am. So James tells us this, but above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but, your, but, but, but let your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. That word swear doesn't mean cuss. It means to grasp something firmly that is sacred for the, poor, the purpose of supporting what I am doing or saying. It's me saying to Scotty down here, Scotty, I promise I'm going to do this. I swear to God I'm going to do this. What I'm saying to him is God's going to vouch for me because we got a deal. So you can believe me because God said he's going to, yeah, I, I swear to God. James says that's really dishonorable and offensive to God. James says, hey, man up and be what you said you are 
in what you believe or you're a fraud. So Pam and I knew a family years ago who, whose business crumbled and they went bankrupt. They had to declare bankruptcy. Crushed the family. Mark didn't make, the dad who owned the business, didn't, didn't make a deal with God. He didn't say, if you, I will. If you, if you. It just happened. He didn't, make, he didn't make a deal. He'd been walking with, with God all these years. He know, you don't make deals with God. If you do, then your God's too small. So when the bankruptcy was complete, he contacted all his creditors, he called all those people he owed money to, and he said, I want to ask your forgiveness, but not only that, I'm going to tell you that although the bank say I don't owe you, I will pay you back every penny. He didn't even say, it's because Jesus told me to. He didn't say, because it's what God would do. He just said, this is what I will do, because Jesus lives inside of him. He didn't say to them, I swear by my mother's grave. I swear by God I'm going to do this. No, instead, he just took the next two decades and did exactly what he said. It wasn't easy, but it was right. It was evidence that that man followed Jesus. His creditors and his family respect him and his faith. His family trusts not only his leadership, but they also trust the God who led him in those next two decades. Trust brings new life. Following Jesus leaves obvious evidence. And my simple question to us today is this. What evidence are we leaving? Would you stand? I, I feel like I just hit you with a two before and I'm running away. That's just tough stuff. Some of you in this place have, have got to let go. You've, you've got to let go of the anger towards people that you think brought you to that place. If you're a follower of Jesus, it couldn't have happened without God's permission. So now what you've got to do is that you've got to take, as I had to take the, the guy who fired me, and I had to put him out of the equation. When I, when I read that scripture, I realized it had nothing to do with him. It had the thing to do with me and God. Can I trust God in this thing? And if I'm mad, I better talk to God about it. And there have been plenty of times I say, God, I'm really mad at you. But, but I still want you to like me. So you're going to have to wrestle with that this week. You're going to have to say, okay, God, I'm letting this go. I'm letting her go. I'm letting him go. I'm, I'm letting that, that ex go. I'm, I'm letting the one who ripped me off go. I'm letting them go. This is you and me because you're preparing me for something. And if I stay anchored and complaining about that, I'll never get to the other place I'm supposed to be. I'm letting go and I'm stepping back from Gary Sin's anger. I'm letting that thing go and I'm keeping a distance because you're building something great in the in-between. As Pastor Don had said earlier during communion, some of you have been in captivity thinking you're still battling that and you're, and you're not free. It's time to let that thing go because you've got freedom in Jesus and he's got a destiny for you, but you've got to let it go. That's how you're going to endure. Otherwise, you're going to kill yourself in the process. It's time to walk in the freedom that he has for you. 
And I hadn't planned on doing this, but I, I, just, I just feel at this moment, if, if somebody, if, if, if a group of you need this morning to have prayer, that you'll be set free, that you'll endure, that you'll let go of some of the things in the past with, without special music to make you feel better or whatever, just come down here and join me right here. We're going to have a prayer and then we're going to dismiss. If you just need to be set free, come on down. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Just come down the gallery steps. I appreciate your honesty. Now, I firmly believe that the Spirit of God, at this moment, because of your honesty and your willingness to release this, can take all of this from you right now. And then you just work this out with God and let that other person go. And stop your complaining. You've been complaining for years because of what that person did. Because if they hadn't done it, you'd have these things. Hey, if you're in God's hands and those things are supposed to be yours, they're coming to you. You didn't lose anything. But you've gained wisdom and a shaping by God. So, Father, I pray now with all of these who have faith in you, we trust you. And we declare that you are the breaker of bondage and chains. You're the remover of those, those ugly, painful memories. And today, we pray that you will set these friends free. That they will release that thing, that it will go. They'll not be anchored to the past. That thing is a done deal. It's gone. And you will give them that which is better in the future. May the joy... Jesus, that you had even in enduring the cross be their joy now. That they will make it to the destiny that you've created and be fully matured and shaped for it. I thank you. That is your plan. And for anyone here, Lord, who feels that they have, have walked in sin before you, I thank you that you said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. So as we declare to you we're sinners, please forgive us. You are cleansing us now. You have set us free. For it is freedom you set us free. That's what your scripture says. So we give you thanks for that freedom, for that release, by the power of your Holy Spirit moving in this place. Thank you that what the enemy and other people meant for evil, you have meant for good. And these folks are set free into that good. We declare it in the name of Jesus. And all in agreement with me, say amen. 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 So God bless you. You have a great day and walk in the freedom that God has given you. Have a great day.